Hello, hello. Welcome to Deep Dive Into Practice, where we support your lifelong journey in mastering your skill set and becoming a highly effective mental health professional, whether you're working with children, teens, or families. With everything going on over the past couple of years with COVID, I thought it would be really helpful to deep dive into anxiety, especially since there's a lot of subpar work, I suppose we could say, that's going on out there that's actually making kiddos' anxiety worse. This is a really important topic because anxiety is one of the most common mental health concerns for both kids and adults, and there's been this huge increase really over the past decade, which has only spiked since COVID. And we know that over half, 50% of our kiddos are gonna have a mental illness within their childhood, and anxiety is one of the biggest ones. Even before COVID, we knew that kids have been in the thick of this anxiety sort of epidemic because we know anxiety is one of the leading reasons for kids going to the emergency room or being hospitalized. One thing that we need to know and make sure that parents and other people know is that anxiety is not something kids outgrow and it's not gonna go away on its own. Anxiety actually gets worse over time, not better. So many parents say they knew their kiddos struggled from a very young age, but they didn't recognize it as anxiety, right? Or they thought they'd outgrow it, never really realizing that the anxiety only gets worse over time. It doesn't get better and and kids don't outgrow it. And unfortunately, when we wait, it gets harder and harder because we know teens are extremely susceptible for developing anxiety, and we know that untreated anxiety, it becomes ingrained. And when it's ingrained, it's just it just gets harder and harder to manage that anxiety, especially once we get into adulthood. And we know anxiety is the leading predictor of depression in both teens and young adults. So it's really important that we're getting on top of this because 70% of all mental health problems begin in childhood. So we want to make sure we're getting early intervention happening. But unfortunately, most kids go undetected for far too long and they don't ever get the support that they need. And even then, when they do get support, more than half of them still don't get really effective treatment at all. We know that our anxious youth, for example, they're often quiet, they're well behaved, and so they tend to go unnoticed by a lot of adults. Some can be really disruptive and act out, but then they're labeled as maybe having ADHD or maybe they're labeled as the bad kid or oppositional or defiant. Both of those scenarios really results in our kiddos failing to receive that they ha- the help that they actually need around the anxiety piece. When we look at kids and teens, A lot of them, even if they do go for support, they're finding that, you know, the professionals that they're working with aren't very helpful. And that's why I really wanted to dive into this topic so we can avoid that. And I will be getting into some of those traps. Uh, I actually even have a little mini series that I'm going to be doing on some of those traps that we professionals get into that actually make anxiety worse. One of the things that I want to focus on for today, because it's one of the most common questions I get uh, in all of my trainings, is how can we tell the difference between normal worries and anxiety? When does that become problematic? This is where I find a lot of professionals and parents and, and educators that get tripped up on and, you know, we might end up waiting too long. So there's a few foundational pieces we need to know about anxiety. In a really simplified view, when we see a threat, the brain sends signals to release adrenaline from the adrenal glands and that starts up our fight or flight response. This is the body's way to prime the body to protect itself 
whether we're going to fight or we're going to run away or maybe freeze. There can be, you know, some helpful things of freezing, but generally we're going to fight or we're going to run away. So we can't really get rid of anxiety. We have to have it. And that's really important for us to remember because so many kids and teens, they just want it gone. And then parents feel helpless when the anxiety doesn't go away. But being human means we all feel worries at some point. We all feel those anxious feelings, so we can't avoid it. And I think that's really important to remember, so I'm going to repeat it again, that we need to have anxiety and we cannot avoid those feelings that come with anxiety. Like I said, I'm going to be doing a mini training about the traps that we fall into that makes anxiety worse. And this is a key point that pulls us into a trap when we forget you know, that anxiety doesn't just go away. So yes, worries are normal. Yes, they're here to stay. Yes, we're all gonna feel those anxious feelings. Worries are important for survival because it protects us from danger. And bonus, it motivates us. It helps us perform our best and reach our goals. So therefore, we know worries are to be expected, especially worries that are used for survival means, you know, so when we're little separating from adults, that could be really dangerous, right? So we want to avoid those situations. We want to avoid heights or things that could eat us. That's an, a normal response to the brain. So we're going to see developmentally appropriate fears that ensures our safety, like being able to separate when we're little, for example. We also have life transitions that cause worries. So maybe going to a new school or graduating, or maybe there's changes in family composition or just being a teenager. And then of course, there's lots of stressful situations and experiences, breaking up with a boyfriend, uh, friendship fires, a test. There's so many different stressful situations that we know that our kids go into, even just getting a bad text from someone. So anything new or unfamiliar or, or upsetting, anytime that there's uncertainty, we don't know what to expect, all of those things are going to be stressful situations. In the show notes, I have a little chart for you where you can see age-appropriate worries. It makes sense, for example, that, like I said, toddlers might worry about separation. As they get older, they're going to be more worried about monsters or thunderstorms and the dark. As they get into those tween and teen years, we do still see a lot more of the uh, social anxiety, of course, so school performance. But then they start to think about existential ideas. You know, they start to think about their own mortality, for example. So we're looking at healthy versus normal work, or sorry, normal worries are the healthy ones. So when we're looking at those healthy, normal worries, we got to remember, A, the worries are to be expected. I've already talked about. B, they're temporary. Oftentimes they're situational because it's based on this exam, for example, or this big event that I have to do. And C, they don't interfere with functioning. Kids can still go on and live their life. So how do we know when the anxieties are a problem? Well, one of the things is when something happens to us, we'll experience anxiety. Um, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? So if we have a test, 
leading up to that test is the beginning, in the middle, during that middle, and then of the writing the exam, and then at the end, the anxiety is over because that situation is over. So that's where we start seeing those normal worries, or especially around a situation like that. There's a beginning, a middle, or an end, or there's still a threat. So maybe, you know, there's some rumors flying around school about us. And so obviously we're going to continue feeling anxious about whatever might be happening in that situation. But when anxiety becomes a disorder, there is no end. Their overactive amygdala, and we'll be learning about the brain as well, just to make sure we're all on the same page with that, it's trigger happy. Those alarms in the brain are trigger happy, and kids become so overly sensitive to everything going around, uh, on around them, whether it's in their environment, what people are saying, how people are looking at them, but also the things that are going on in their head, their interpretations of what's going on or any thoughts that they have. And it becomes a problem when it starts to take over and kids are just flooded with those uncomfortable feelings that come along with anxiety in their body, maybe those upsetting thoughts that they've got swirling around in their head. And oftentimes they want to start avoiding doing things even when there's no actual danger. So it's sort of like that oversensitive fire alarm that goes off, you know, if you've ever burned food or, or burned your toast um, and you've got a really sensitive fire alarm, it's going to go off. Right, even though there's no real fire and everyone's annoyed and trying to, you know, swat away the air around it to make it go off. It's really annoying when it goes off unnecessarily. And it's really annoying when it's going off all the time, every time we even just make toast, especially when it is just toast and there's no immediate danger. But that's what's happening in the brain. These false alarms are going off all of the time. And you know, it could just be little minor stressors, little tiny things that are going on in the environment. It might not even be things that are actually going on. It could be things just we're thinking about that might happen. My brother might walk into my room and take my toy, right? In our brain, it doesn't matter what is actually happening. Just the thought of that, those alarm systems still go off. What happens in our brain, what happens in our body, it still happens anyway. It doesn't matter how big or small the situation is. So part of the reason why I hate big deal, little deal, because for them, everything's a big deal when those alarms go off. And it becomes a problem because their brain can't tell the difference if there's a real threat or if it's just a thought. They kind of get sucked in and all of it's a big deal, right? Because that amygdala is triggered and so all of those responses are going to happen anyway. And so just expecting something bad to happen, that's enough to set off the amygdala. That's enough to set off those alarms. And that's why we still see these big emotional reactions like anger or explosive behaviors or avoidance or fighting. Once that amygdala is triggered, it's just like we see a danger coming our way right in front of us and we react instantaneously and there are no rational thoughts. Once that alarm is off, our rational thinking and decision-making part of our brain is short-circuited. Literally all of the blood is rushing out of that part of the thinking part of the brain into our motor cortex, getting us ready to fight or to run away. So worries become problematic when it starts to show up when there is no danger or where it's not as big of a danger as they perceive it to be. And then the stress response is triggered and that's just going to make the situation even worse because then it's like, oh my gosh, my body's stressful. Obviously there's something here going on. It's a big deal. That's leading to more physical symptoms and it strengthens the worried thoughts. The physical symptoms often become a problem because then kids start to worry about others noticing them turning red or getting sweaty or they can't handle the stomach ache and you know that's just all intensifying the stress and it just creates a vicious circle. So when we look at worries and anxiety, there's this continu continuum. So I talked already about the beginning, middle, and end, but 
there's this continuum where everyone has some anxiety, obviously we need to have it, but if it gets too high or too low, that can be a problem. That's why having a diagnostic system, you know, if you use the IDA or the DSM, it's not super helpful, especially for those kiddos and teens who don't fall under a specific category. So I really take a transdiagnostic approach where we look at anxiety, it's falling along this continu continuum of severity. Unfortunately, for those kiddos who experience high levels of worries, and those are the ones that I'm going to be focusing on, when it gets high, they start to develop these strategies to avoid all of those physical symptoms that come along with anxiety in the first place. So maybe now they're not putting their hand up in class, or they're not going to ask friends to play, or they're not going to go to school at all. And when kids can't avoid situations, then they try to escape from those feelings as much as possible. So maybe they always need their parents close by, or they always have to wash their hands, or whatever it is they need to do to make themselves more comfortable. Unfortunately, you know, although they've got these safety behaviors and it might help them feel better in the moment, they're only making anxiety worse. And anxiety becomes completely debilitating because of the lengths these kiddos are going to go to to try to keep safe by avoiding and escaping. So we see these excessive worries. They begin to cause all of this stress in everyday life and not just stress, distress in everyday life. And it can really prevent them from doing things other kids are doing, even just little things like playing soccer at lunchtime or going to the store to buy a bag of chips, even if mom and dad are just in the car outside or sitting outside for lunch. I've got teenagers who won't go outside and sit you know, on the grass with their friends because they're scared of bees or whatever it is, the, you know, flying bugs, or maybe even calling their friends to play. A lot of anxious kids, they're not meeting important developmental milestones. The anxiety is getting in the way. So it's this combination of excessive anxiety and disruption in life. That's what helps us understand that <laughs> this isn't normal worries anymore. This is anxiety that's becoming a problem. So at the end of the day, we know it's become an anxiety problem. If we want to call it a disorder, we can. But the worries become excessive and extreme in relation to the situation. So these kids experience lots of anxiety when there's no real threat. We know it's excessive and extreme when they experience anxiety most days, more intensely than other kids their age, they have a hard time controlling them, and they tend to worry about everyday things, but it could also be big things, but it's just to the extreme. And we also know that they're excessive when kids start to experience a lot of stomach aches or headaches, or they have trouble sleeping, or we see behaviors like the lashing out or trying to avoid school, or always crying Monday mornings, or always looking for lots of reassurance about things that are okay, or making sure that everything's okay, needing to have that certainty. So that's the one piece around the excessive and extremeness of anxiety. We also know anxiety is a problem when it causes a lot of disruption in their lives and kids start doing things to help avoid the worries so they miss out on those important childhood experiences that I've talked about. So we know it's disruptive when maybe our kids aren't doing very well in school. Maybe they're socially isolated or they're not making friends or having trouble making friends. They're avoiding trying new things. It's always a fight to get them to go out and try anything. We see lots of school refusal. They're just, they're just not carefree. They're just not playful. They're uptight all the time. Um, even just making decisions, you know, is anxiety provoking for them. So we know that it's causing a lot of disruption. So those are the two pieces that we're looking at is that excessiveness and disruption, which I'll also have in your show notes there. 
And I find, you know, as soon as we even question whether we should be worried, we probably should start doing things differently. We should probably be, you know, if we hear parents coming to us saying, you know, is this something to worry about? I would say if you're worried and wondering if you should be worried, you need to come in even just for a session, even just for parents so that they can start doing things differently. We don't want to wait. We don't want to wait until it becomes excessive and disruptive right? Seeing kids, even about normal worries, that can be really helpful so that we can make sure that our parents that we're working with or teachers or other professionals, whoever we're working with, we're just making sure that we're not maintaining or worsening worries into an anxiety sort of disorder. So that's something to really remember. Worries isn't something we want to play around with and, and, and sort of put on the back burner and see what happens. We want to get in there right away. That's going to be really important. So your action step for today with your clients that you've got, if you haven't already, it's important to see where that anxiety is excessive and where it's disruptive. Where is anxiety getting in the way of them doing the things they need to do or want to be doing? Really dig in deep here. There might be subtle things like, you know, maybe there's no way they could ever run into the gas station quickly while their parents waiting or waiting in the car to get themselves that bag of chips. We're going to explore high and low. It's really important to understand. So it could be even subtle things like raising their hand in class. You know, parents will often say, oh, no, 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 they're not anxious. But then when we dig a little bit deeper, it's like, oh, my goodness, no, he doesn't do that. Oh, my gosh, you know, trick or treating. He'll never ring the doorbell and say trick or treat, you know, always waiting for the other kids to do that. So looking at those kinds of things, it's going to be really important to understand. And we're going to be working with this in the future as well. So dig deep, look at where things might be excessive and a little bit disruptive. Uh, and like I said, I've got the handouts in the show notes so that you can use with clients to brainstorm and you can you even start it, you know, have one on for yourself that you're going to work with the client before they come in. But these things are going to be really important to start thinking about. We don't need to know the whys of anxiety, but definitely understanding where anxiety is getting the way is really important. So thank you for joining me today and I will see you next time. 